Hello and welcome to Calling All Cars from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Copyrighted program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. Los Angeles Police calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 75. Regarding a body found buried in the cellar of a house on South Catalina Street. The corpse was wearing a gold ring with the initials RB on it and a silver belt buckle with the initial B. That's all. Rolls and quirks. the name Rio Grande Cracked Gasoline, perhaps you wonder what cracked means. But oil and gasoline experts know that cracked describes the most costly and most efficient process yet devised to produce gasoline. Millions of dollars and years of research have been spent in the development of cracked gasoline by engineers of the worldwide Sinclair Oil Organization who recently completed construction of the finest and most modern cracking plant for the Rio Grande Oil Company. In this new plant, Rio Grande gasoline undergoes a treatment which cannot be duplicated by any other gasoline sold in the far west. Ordinary refining methods fail to break up the particles of gasoline so that much of the potential power of uncracked gasoline is wasted. But Rio Grande gasoline is made under terrific heat and pressure so that these particles are cracked up into tiny atoms. When cracked gasoline reaches your engine, there is no waste, as with straight-run gasoline. It burns evenly, smoothly. It revolutionizes your car's performance. That's why Rio Grande cracked gasoline has been chosen by the leading cities of California and Arizona for their most exacting task of powering police cars, fire engines, ambulances, and other emergency equipment. If these exacting buyers find Rio Grande cracked gasoline such an outstandingly better buy, don't you think that you too should enjoy the extra benefits that cracked gasoline gives you at no extra cost? Pleasure to present Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department. Chief Davis. Good evening, friends. There is an old saying, murder will out, and like most time-worn adages, has more than a grain of truth to it. No matter how carefully a criminal plans his crime, our experience is that he never thinks of everything. Always he leaves a loose end. It may take months or even years before his mistake is discovered. But when it is, inevitably the criminal is called to answer for his act. The murder we are dramatizing for you tonight was a cold-blooded, premeditated crime committed for material gain. 
although it was never proved in court. The murderess must have been slightly insane, for she made little effort to cover up her tracks permanently. When we found her and brought her back to Los Angeles for questioning, her cold refusal to talk earned her the title of Enigma Woman and forced us to go to court with a circumstantial evidence case, which was so well constructed by our investigation officers that the jury was never in doubt as to its opinion. But that's getting ahead of the story. Our story tonight opens in Denver, Colorado, some 15 years ago. Mr. Spaulding, a prominent merchant, is seated in his study at his desk. Mrs. Spaulding has just entered the room. Did you want to see me, Herbert? Yes, I want to ask you about these. What? These bills. What about them? What about them? Lord, woman, what about them? Look, L.S.A. Millinery Shop, $97. Pierre's for dresses, $523. And $75 for shoes, all in one month. And there are more, too. I needed those things. Needed them. The trunks and closets you have filled with clothes? Oh, Herbert, let's not go through all this again. You weren't able to support me. You had no right marrying me. Oh, Mildred, you're unreasonable. You know that I've never stinted you. I've always tried to give you everything you wanted. But this is too much. It's got to stop. Why has it got to stop, may I ask? Because I have no more money. You have no more money? Nothing with my regular salary. I had 25000 in the bank when we were married. We've gone through that in three years. Now, we've got to cut down. Cut down? I can't possibly cut down. I haven't nearly enough now to live decently. You'll have to make more money. Uh, that isn't as easy as it sounds. Well, it's your problem. No, it isn't. You've got to help. Well, I won't help. I have a perfect right to the things I like. But, Mildred... If you can't give them to me, I'll find some man who can. Put that in your pipe and it is that shortly afterwards, Mrs. Spaulding travels to Los Angeles. Calculatingly, she looks the territory over for a source of finances which will meet the expenses of her standard of living. One morning, an advertisement in the newspaper catches her eye. Hmm. A widower. Breaking up housekeeping wishes to lease his lovely home on South Carolina Street to responsible party for indefinite period. Phone, Robert Bernard, Drexel 372. Oh. South Carolina Street, right in the Wilshire District. That sounds promising. It's a charming place, Mr. Bernard. I'm simply in love with it. Oh, I know I shall be happy here. I hope you will, Mrs. Spaulding. It isn't just like any house you might find for rent. Of course it isn't. There's something intimate and lovely about it. There should be. I built it as a wedding present for my second wife. I thought you were a widower. I am. She died a month after we were married. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, you uh, see, the place has too many uncomfortable memories for me. I, I go crazy living here by myself. I understand exactly. However... There is one stipulation I want to place in the lease. What is that? I want the right to reserve one room here as my own. To leave my things there and to return to it if I feel I want to be close 
for a while to my wife's spirit. Well, I can't see any objection to that. It's a silly thing, I suppose, and I probably never will come back to the room. But I won't feel that it's here for me. Of course you do. When do you think you'll want to take possession? Well, as soon as convenient to you. Well, I'm planning to go east on the 1st of June. I'm going to buy a car in Detroit and drive back to Texas and Arizona to inspect some of my oil leases and mining properties. Suppose you come in on June 1st. That'll be fine. I'll draw up the lease on those conditions and have the place ready for you on the 1st. That'll be uh, next Tuesday. Very well. I'll be here Tuesday afternoon. It's been very nice to have met you, Mr. Bernard. And you can be sure I'll take the best of care of your dream house. I know you will, Mrs. Baldwin. Good day. Good day, Mr. Bernard. Oh, well, in Texas. Mines in Arizona and a $20,000 house in Los Angeles. I wonder if Mr. Bernard will catch his train Tuesday. I wonder. On Tuesday afternoon, Mrs. Balding arrives at the Bernard Mansion with her luggage. Well, Mr. Bernard, here I am, bag and baggage. So I see. Can I help you with the bag? Thank you. We'll just leave them here in the hall. There's plenty of time to get settled. You have the lease? Yes, here it is. It's very simple. Just contains the proviso about my room. May I see it, please? Of course. What's that tingling noise? Oh, I beg your pardon. A, a habit of mine, facing the floor and jingling my keys. Does it annoy you? Oh, no. I, I just thought for a minute there were ghosts in the house. Sometimes I think there are the ghosts of my dead wife. You poor man. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, that's all right. I, I'm just in a mood today, leaving this place in the hands of a stranger. But don't consider me a stranger, Mr. Bernard. Please think of me as, as a friend. Thank you, Mrs. Fawley. I'll try to. Well, does the lease look all right? Yes, it seems to be in order. Um, here's my check for $250, first and last month's rent. Thank you. Oh, and um, another thing. What's that? Well, I'll be living here all alone. It's a big house. And, uh, I'm just a woman. I wondered if you had a gun you could leave me. A gun? Oh, yes. I scarcely think you'll need it. The house is guarded by a private patrol service. I know, but I'd feel safer. Oh, really well, my gun's right there in the desk drawer. I was going to take it with me, but... You really feel you need it, sir. I do. All right. Here you are. Oh, my. It's a dangerous-looking thing. How does it work? Watch out. It's loaded. Oh. But the safety catch is on. When you want to fire it, you throw this catch. Like this. See? Oh, I see. That's very simple, isn't it? Quite. Thank you, Mr. Bernard. I'll feel much safer now. Well, I'd better be getting on. Oh, before you go, Mr. Bernard, let me make you a cup of tea. I, I'd like you to be the first guest in my new home. Well, a cup of tea wouldn't go badly. And anyway, you can show me where the things are in the kitchen. Right. Come along this way. Uh, here we are. 
Right to the butler's pantry here. Uh, you'll find some tea on that third shelf, I think. There's tea kettles on the stove. By the way, Mrs. Paulding, you, you still have got that gun in your hand. Oh, how silly of me. I forgot about it. I'll leave it here on the pantry shelf. There. Now, in just a minute, we'll have a nice hot cup of tea. Can you imagine, Mr. Bernard? Uh, here you are. Always pacing and jingling those keys. Are you that nervous? I am sorry. Well, you act like a man whose hours are numbered. Oh, no, not that bad, I hope. I'm good for a pretty long time yet. Here, I'll give you the keys, and I won't be tempted to jingle them. Uh, this one for the house. This one opens the garage. And this Yale lock key fits the liquor closet in the cellar. Is there any liquor in it? Unfortunately, it's quite empty. Oh, Ooh. and this one is for the kitchen door here. Well, I think that's about all I need to know, isn't it? Yes, I think so. The water's boiling. Tea is about to be served. The cups are in the pantry, I presume. That's right. You're not dealing with your gummy your fingers. Am I? You're nervous? Yes, I guess I am. I don't know why it is, but I feel as though something were about to happen. Maybe you're right, Mr. Bernard. <coughs> Maybe you're right. <laughs> I'm afraid, Mr. Bernard, you're quite dead. <laughs> Did you hear a strange noise a few minutes ago? Noise? Yes, like a like a shot. No. I was in back sprinkling. Oh, I, I suppose it was an automobile backfiring. Backfire? Yes, yes. I suppose Mr. Barnard told you about me. No? In that cell? I have leased his house. He's gone out of town so far. Yes. Whatever arrangement you have with him will continue just the same. Yes. yes. Oh, and uh, by the way. Yes? Could you get me a load of dirt? What kind of? I want to uh, cultivate some bulbs in the cellar. Dirt for bulbs? Yes. How much dirt are you wanting, please? Oh, I don't know. Enough to cover up. Enough for bulbs. You ought to know. <laughs> One yard. Yes, that'll do, I suppose. Shall I dumping dirt in cellar? No. No, of course not. Leave it right here by the cellar door. Yes. I'll bring it tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Bring it this afternoon, right now. But you want don't to go. Don't argue with me. Bring it here this minute. As soon as you've delivered it, you can go. Thank you very much. Funny, I can't sleep. Wind, rain. It would have to rain tonight. Wind, rain, and the corpse is in the cellar. Oh, the settings are ghost story. What a joke. Who's the ghost of my dead wife? Good Lord, I've got to get hold of my 
Now, look here, Mildred Spalding. You sit down and light a cigarette. Got to stop these nerves of yours. There. Nothing like a cigarette. Quiet talk. What's that? Oh, God, I'm crazy. There are ghosts in this house. Who is there? No, no. You can't come in here. Stay out. You can't come in. I'll shoot. I'll shoot you again. My reflection in the mirror. I started my reflection. <laughs> Can't let her get me. Well, I've got to get hold of myself. Thunder, but it never thunders in California. I've got to get out. Here, Mrs. Sterner, it's a lovely place. Yes, it's just what I'm looking for. Now, as I explained, the house is completely yours with the exception of the room at the head of the stairs. It has some of my husband's personal effects in it. I'll just leave it locked. Not quite a way. My husband's out of town. Probably won't return for some time, and I may be east indefinitely. But you can pay your rent regularly to my agent. Very well. And I'll take care of your house as ever my very own. I'm sure you will. Goodbye. Goodbye. First wife, failing to receive an allowance check for her daughter, requests the Los Angeles attorney to investigate the oil man's disappearance. Accompanied by a private detective, the attorney calls at the Bernard house in an attempt to locate either Bernard or Mrs. Spaulding. I'm sorry, but I can't tell you where Mrs. Spaulding is now. I send her on my rent check to a real estate agent. I see. Well, uh, Mrs. Turner, would you mind if we look over the house? It seems that Mr. Bernard is missing and they want to locate him as possible. Who's Mr. Bernard? Uh, he's the owner of the house. Why, I thought Mrs. Spalding owned the house. He doesn't. Well, she told me she did. Well, she did, huh? Yes, I wanted to place him good faith. Well, don't worry about that. If you'd only be so good as to cooperate with us, uh... Certainly, you may search any place you like. Uh, thank you. Uh, come on, Sam. We'll start with the garret. <laughs> Nothing on the gallows, second or first floors. Maybe we'll find something down here in the cellar. That's where they bury bodies, you know. <laughs> You're going melodramatic on me, eh? No, I don't think we'll find them here. He's probably gotten a night with someplace in the east and is lying on a slab in some morgue, unidentified all this time. Nothing suspicious around here. Laundry boxes. Yeah, well, here, let's uh, take a look at this cupboard. It's locked. Now, let me have those keys, Mrs. Sterling, give us. There you are. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, this would look worse. Hmm. Now, this one. Well, uh, he's a likely candidate. Huh? Nope. How about that one there? Hmm. No, Sam. 
There isn't a key here to fit this lock. That's funny. Here, wait till I try some of my masters. Yeah. There we are. Nothing here but a mound of dirt. Well, wait a minute. Look at the shape of that mound. What do you mean? Well, it's just what I think it is. I want the police here when we move it. The attorney hastily calls Central Police and Detectives Hitchcock and Cancel hurry to the house on South Catalina Street. investigation and examination of physical evidence, the two detectives report to their chief. Well, boy, what have you got to report? What is it? The piece of Lars Bernard. Well, a wedding ring with initials GB on it and a silver belt buckle with initials B. Hmm. It's had an identification some big work to get it. Good. You boys haven't been wasting any time. I suppose you've been too busy identifying the body to find out who did it. Yeah, pretty strong suspicions about that, too. While I was checking identity... Talk went over the place of physical evidence. Hmm. It's pretty good reconstruction. Go ahead, sir. Tell it, Chief. Well, Bernard rented his house to Mrs. Spaulding from Denver. He was last seen on June 1st by some business associates when he was winding up some last-minute business before leaving for Detroit. I see. Mrs. Spaulding took possession of the house the same day, according to these men, who say that Bernard cut his interview short in order to meet Mrs. Spaulding at the house. Hmm. Well, for some reason or other, Mrs. Spaulding and Bernard went into the kitchen. Well, while Mr. Bernard was sitting at the kitchen table with his back to Mrs. Spaulding, he shot and killed him with a thirty-two twenty. His own gun. No, oh, you're so sure of that. Well, he was shot through the neck from behind with a thirty-two twenty slug. He found his gun in the room he retained in the house. The fatal bullet was fired from that gun, according to our ballistics man. Mm-hmm. Well, the crime occurred in the kitchen. And after she disposed of the body, Mrs. Spaulding washed up the blood. But she didn't do a completely thorough job because we found watered blood stains under the linoleum by the kitchen table. Mm. These stains tally in count with Bernard's blood. Oh, yeah. Well, after she shot him, she dragged the body downstairs and placed it in the closet. No, when was it done? Yes, sir, about 5.30. How do you know that? She asked the gardener about that time whether he'd heard a sound like a shot. And then she told him to bring her some dirt because she wanted to plant bulbs in the cellar. Mm. Well, the gardener brought the dirt, which I'm convinced is the same dirt she covered the body with. Hmm. Apparently, her nerves went back on her, for on June 5th, she rented the house to Mrs. Turner, the present occupant, and left for the east, so she said. I'd suggest that you have Denver police look her up and arrest her on murder charge. Wait a minute. Not so fast. We've got a pretty neat case here, but it's all circumstantial. Any fingerprints on the gun? No, it was wiped off. But there's not even a reasonable doubt that she's innocent. I'm convinced of her guilt. Yes, but you wouldn't convince a jury on that evidence. Why, she gave Mrs. Turner to understand that the house on Catalina Street was alone. She never even mentioned Bernard when she rented it. Still, she might have a convincing answer for that. Uh, what are you going to do? Let her get away? No, but I'm not going to arrest her until you boys have built up a stronger case. Go out and find out something about her. Trace her whereabouts before and after the crime. In the meantime, I'll bring her here from Denver. How can you bring her unless you arrest her? Ask her assistance. 
From what you say, he sounds like a cold, hard customer to me. He'll probably fall for the rules because he's convinced that he can talk a way out of this. In the meantime, you boys find me a motive. Well, your house in your own name with a motive. You wanted his house. Insufficient. They didn't try to sell it, did she? She merely subletted on her lease. That's legal. Find something else. Okay, Chief, we will. Detective is sent to Denver to bring Mrs. Spaulding back for questioning in connection with the disappearance of Mr. Bernard. Expressing a willingness to assist in any way she can, Mrs. Spaulding returns to Los Angeles and faces chief of detectives. Mrs. Spaulding, we want you to know that we appreciate your kindness in coming all the way to Los Angeles. Not at all, Chief. Naturally, I'm willing to assist you in any way I can. Do you know where Mr. Bernard is? No, I don't. You were a good friend of his, weren't you? Hardly. I rented his house from him, that's all. I certainly knew the man. I see. He left town shortly after you moved into his house, didn't he? Yes, he went to San Francisco the day I moved in. Did you see him after that? Yes, as a matter of fact, he had some trouble and came back to Los Angeles. Trouble? What kind of trouble? Well, he got into a fight with uh, a Mexican woman. Hmm. She shot him in the arm and he had to have his arm amputated. I see. And then where did he go? Why, he left for the east, I believe. Of course, I didn't talk to him very much. Very interesting, Mr. Spaulding. Very interesting. This has been a great help to us. Is that all you required of me? Mm, for the moment, yes. But uh, I'd appreciate it if you'd remain in town for a few days. I may want to question you first. Very well. I'll keep in touch with you. Good day. Good day, Mrs. Spaulding. Send Matthews in here. Matt, Mrs. Spaulding just left this office. I want you to shadow her. Don't let her out of your sight. Yes, sir. Of all the cock and bull stories I ever heard, shot in the arm by a Mexican woman, had his arm amputated. <laughs> I don't understand what the devil is driving at. Yeah? Fine. Send them right in. No, boys. And what have you got? The plenty. On June 2nd, the day after Bernard was murdered... Spaulding bought $375 worth of clothes at Bullets and charging to Bernard's account, explaining that she was his wife. Yes, and on the succeeding three days, she presented checks totaling $1,200 to Bernard's bank and had them on it. Who wrote them? My hunch is that she did. When the bank teller questioned the signature, she explained that she was Mrs. Bernard, hmm. and that her husband had had an accident to his right arm, and that this was his signature written with his left hand. So that accounts for the story about the amputation. What else? On June 6th, she charged him Bernard's railroad ticket for Detroit and bought a ticket to Denver. She lifted that ticket off his body. She presumably stole the $500, which are also in his wallet. What makes you think that? His business associates told us that he had 500 bucks and tickets to Detroit in his wallet. We saw him last on June 1st. He found that wallet empty in his room in the house of Catalina Street. Well, she certainly was out to take him, wasn't she? Yes, sir. You gonna arrest her now, Chief? Not yet. I'm having her shadowed, but I want a foolproof case from you boys first. She's a clever woman, and I don't want to give her a single loophole. For three weeks, the officers build up their case, while Mrs. Paulding, under constant surveillance of the police, continues at large. Then, when their case is complete, they present it to the grand jury, which promptly returns a true bill of murder. Then Mrs. Paulding is summoned into the chief's office, where the investigating officers await her. Good afternoon, Chief. Good afternoon, Mrs. Paul. 
Won't you sit down? Thank you. May I present Detectives Campbell and Hickok, Mrs. Forley? How do you do? How do you do? These are the gentlemen who've been investigating the murder of Mr. Bernard. Murder? Certainly, Mrs. Forley. Mr. Bernard was shot and killed in the kitchen of this house on Catalina Street, June 1st. I hereby arrest you for that murder. What? You arrest me? Precisely. That's rather amusing, Chief. On what grounds do you arrest you? Frankly, on the grounds of circumstantial evidence. Investigation shows that you're the only person who could have killed him. You'll have a nice time trying to prove that in court. That's precisely what we will do, however. What? Accusing me of the murder of a man I only saw twice in my life? You save time for all of us, Mrs. Spaulding. It'll be easier on you and us than if you make a voluntary confession right now. A confession? A confession? Do you think I'm crazy? Look here, my good man. I'm as innocent as you are. Oh, now. come on, Mrs. Spaulding. When did you see Mr. Bernard last? When he left his house the day he went east after he came back from San Francisco. That was when he came back to have his arm amputated? Yes. Mr. Bernard's body had two arms firmly attached when it was found. And it wasn't Mr. Bernard's body. Me, witnesses are positive it was. What did you do with that dirt you told the gardener to bring you? What dirt? The dirt you ordered from the gardener. I never ordered any dirt from the gardener. Yes, well, he says you did. Then he lies. Why did you tell the person occupant of the house on Catalina Street that you owned it. I never did. You said you did. Then she lied. Your picture's been identified as that of the woman who passes Mrs. Bernard's bullets and at a downtown bank. How do you explain that? It isn't so. Why, Mrs. Spaulding, failing to convict you for murder, we can send you up for grand larceny and forgery. That'll be some job. Why did you kill Robert Bernard? I didn't. Then who killed him? I don't know. Do you want to hang for this? I'll never hang. You killed Robert Bernard and you know you did. I'm sorry, you're mistaken. Now look here, Mrs. Spaulding. You look here. I've had about enough of this browbeating. You can address any further questions to me through my attorneys, and until you permit me to have one, I'll not open my mouth. Only let me warn you. You men are doing the most dangerous thing you ever did in your life in making this false accusation. I'm going to break every one of you as though you were toothpicks between my fingers. Who killed Bernard? Why did you kill him? You were the murderer for Robert Bernard. Knock her up, Sergeant. Mrs. Spaulding maintained her cold silence throughout her trial. Never would she make the slightest confession of her guilt. Always she believed her refusal to talk would save her that the police had a foolproof case against her. A case of circumstantial evidence so complete that the jury on the first ballot found her guilty of first-degree murder. And nearly 15 years ago, one of the nation's most bizarre cases came to a close when Mrs. Spaulding entered the state penitentiary to serve a term of life imprisonment, from which, by recommendation of judge and jury, she can never be paroled or pardoned. Thank you, Chief Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, the solution of this case is another tribute to the efficiency of the Los Angeles Police Department. When Los Angeles citizens call the police, a radio patrol car is on the scene within an average of two and a half minutes. To make this possible, the department has tested every gasoline available, but they have used only Rio Grande cracked gasoline for the past several years. Other cities, Oakland, Berkeley, Merced, Fresno, also specify Rio Grande cracked gasoline exclusively for city emergency engines. 
And out in the wide open spaces of Arizona, many sheriff's officers have proved that Rio Grande cracked gasoline is best for emergency use over large areas. These law enforcement agencies use the same Rio Grande cracked gasoline that your neighborhood independent dealer sells so that you too can enjoy police car performance in your own car. Please calling all cars, attention all cars. Cancellation broadcast 75 regarding a dead body. The victim has been identified and the murderer is now in custody. And that's all. Rose and Cook. Calling all cars is written and directed by William M. Robeson. This is your narrator, Frederick Lindsley, bidding you good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company.